The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So just for the online audience, my name is Ajahn Nasarano and I have uh, been a monk almost, this will be my 24th year actually, and I ordained with Ajahn Brahm in uh, Bodhinyana Monastery in Western Australia. And for 14 years I spent uh, in Sri Lanka and eight years of eight of those years in a cave uh, in Sri Lanka in the forest, which was very nice. And now I am uh, back in Australia and based at uh, Newbury Buddhist Monastery. So very nice. And wonderful that we can have an in-person Dhamma talk again. I think people are all Zoomed out. Are you Zoomed out? Most people are, actually. Not another Zoom session. <laughs> no, in person is much better. It's much easier for the uh, person teaching, too, because we, 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 we are sensitive beings. And even though we may not be speaking, we are interacting, actually. Uh, and it's very, very uh, it's much easier to, uh, you know, teach or to uh, give a teaching, Dhamma teaching, uh, when people are around. The uh, Zooms are not so uh, not as easy. So today I was going to, um, the theme was reflecting on our lives and on our experience. Um, and I'll give you the title uh, in a minute because it comes from uh, something that happened last month actually, but anyway. So this is, when we reflect on our life, and our experience. This is so important in our lives because we can get a lot of understanding and also in this, at the same time avoid a lot of suffering because often when we don't understand situations, that's when we get really upset, when we get really angry <laughs> or uh, we have strong desires or you know, our ego gets offended, our sense of who we are gets offended. Often we are looking at our lives in terms of I, me and mine. That's actually the, the lens most of us are using most of the time. But of course, the most important, it's more important, more valuable to reflect on life from, in terms of Dhamma. And because this is actually a part of our practice, the Satipatthana practice, you know, Dhamma Nupassana. And this is reflecting. Uh, using our mindfulness to reflect on our experience of life through the lens of Dhamma, through the understanding of Dhamma. And this, will, this is of great benefit for us in terms of progress on the path, for sure, because if we understand things, if we understand the nature of reality, we're heading towards, the, the, uh, towards awakening, towards enlightenment. And I'd just like to... Um, you know, I always like to have a quote <laughs> from the Buddha to start this. And uh, this comes from the sutta where the Buddha is teaching his son, Venerable Rahula, Ambalatika. And that's in, in the uh, middle-length discourses. And he asks uh, his son, Rahula, what do you think, Rahula? What is the purpose of a mirror? And uh, his son answers, for the purpose of reflection, Venerable Sir. And then the Buddha says, so too, Rahula, an action with the body should be done after repeated reflection. An action by speech should be done after repeated reflection. An action by mind should be done after repeated reflection. So this is 
this this reflection is so important, and in another sutra, the Buddha mentions it or calls it a power, a power of reflection. So it's so important that we reflect on our uh, experience. Oftentimes, people there's so much happening, isn't there? And people are so busy that this reflection is not uh, not so easy. We may not have the time, the the space to actually reflect on what's happening in our lives. And this is crucial, really, for our growth in the Dhamma and for lessening our negative qualities, increasing happiness and peace as well. So I was going to reflect on recent experience. <laughs> and I thought, uh, because it, it, uh, it bring, brings up uh, very important Dhamma points in, uh, that I'd like to talk about this morning. So most of you have probably heard that, uh, would have heard, that our Vesak celebration was cancelled. <laughs> we were going to have it on the uh, 30th, I think Sunday the 30th of July, and Ajahn Brahm was going to be here, and uh, the preparations were all made. The tent was, we've got this big tent or marquee was put up, you know, all the, the ground was uh, prepared for it. Um, all the electrical wiring and uh, all the water was in place. Many, and the food was all sort of, uh, being prepared, organized for that event. And of course, it didn't happen. <laughs> for those online who don't know that, it didn't happen. And of course, we had the COVID lockdown on the 25th. I think we started 25th of, of, uh, uh, 25th of um, May uh, with the COVID lockdown. And so we couldn't have the, the Vesak on the 30th. And so Ajahn Brahm couldn't come here because, of course, WA, the borders closed, everything closed, closed up. And uh, so there was a lot of work that was done for that. And I think uh, many of the committee members that are here, they will appreciate how much work, and particularly our events organiser, Lai, who, I mean, I think probably had sleepless nights <laughs> organising that. <laughs> But it was all very, you know, it was all in place. All, every, all, everything was ready to go. And uh, then it was cancelled. And it was really nice that day uh, when we, um, we heard that well, it was a committee decided, yes, we have to cancel. And then the government said, yes, for sure. <laughs> we, had to, we couldn't have a, a Vesak celebration. But I really liked it because the senior nun, Ayu Upeka, do you, many of you know her? You will know of her. What did she say? She had been really involved in all the organising, done so much hard work, and uh, was really, you know, putting in many hours on this uh, Vesak celebration. So what did she say? She said, this is a perfect teaching for Vesak. <laughs> a perfect teaching for Vesak. And I wonder, would you be able to say that after all that organisation and preparation? You know, it's really, I was really taken aback by that because she was, you know, it is quite, quite something to, you know, to say something like that. You know, this is a, a perfect teaching for Vesak if you're not involved. <laughs> but if you're heavily involved, if you, you know, heavily committed, it's not so easy, actually. But uh, I was, I thought her name was, uh, gave some indication of a quality she must have, which is equanimity. She does have quite a bit of equanimity. And uh, I know she often says she flows with uh, conditions. She was flowing with conditions. And so this is just another way of saying letting go, isn't it? 
Uh, it's another way of saying letting go. But equanimity has also got this, accept, uh, this sense of acceptance. So it's accepting what is actually happening. I mean, it's, this is one of the things we find difficult as human beings, to accept reality as it is happening, particularly when it's not the way we want it. Um, and so it was very, I was very impressed with that. But more than that, because easy to say, you know, uh, this is a perfect teaching for Vesak. Easy to say that. But she was really joyful. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. In fact, I said to Aya, maybe better tone the joy down. <laughs> People won't understand, actually. But I thought, wow, that was very impressive because... If we understand something intellectually, that's one thing. But if, it, trans, if it's a, it also comes through the emotions, it really shows that it's gone deep. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's really something. It shows real understanding and real letting go when that emotion... Because when we, re, when we really let go, when we, uh, then this sense of joy does arrive because we're at peace with what's happened, you know, rather than struggling with, it shouldn't be like this, which is usually our reaction to things that are unwanted, unexpected. So I, th I reflected, well, why is, uh, why do you think uh, it's a perfect teaching for Vesak? Any, any thoughts? Yeah, impermanence? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a, It's impermanence, but it's also unpredictability. unpredictability. Yes, exactly. It's a, it is very much a what I call a reality check. You know, when we uh, we find that uh, the things are not the way we want, and that does bring up. Um, one of the things that I, a wonderful teaching from Ajahn Chah that I like, which is when uh, one of the monks was complaining to him about something, about his knees actually, a knee operation that he had. And he said to Ajahn Chah, he complained, it shouldn't be like this. And uh, of course, this is one of my favorite teachings. And Ajahn Chah, of course, replied, well, if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. <laughs> And that's perfect. That really puts, puts, hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? Because, you know, this is where we are creating our suffering, actually, is, is fighting reality. Reality is that it's like this. Vesak's been cancelled. <laughs> and we can, no matter how much we uh, object to that, how much we reject it, how much we think that's wrong, it shouldn't be like this, that's what happened. So this is actually a real teaching for us to learn to let go, to learn to accept. And of course, this is uh, the noble second, uh, the first noble truth is suffering is, of course, not getting what we want. And, uh, uh, and of course, the cause of that is this desire for things to be other than they are. So we'll, we will go into that. So I was going to talk about what is the nature of reality. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Impermanence is definitely. Anybody here think impermanence is, is not a quality of reality? <laughs> if, if you do, I think this is quite amazing. Because I think nobody would argue that impermanence is part of uh, reality, part of nature. But the Buddha, of course, goes further 
and talks about dukkha as well, suffering, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, uh, non-self. And these three are really linked together, and they are called the three characteristics of existence. And I think for, for Buddhists anyway, we, can, we, can, we understand these concepts. But when we experience them in our lives, that's when we really understand them. Then we really see if they have gone deep, because that will, um, when, when that happens, when things happen that we hadn't anticipated, we do not want. <laughs> and if we have an understanding of Dhamma, then, you know, the way we deal with that will be much, much better. We may not be happy, we may not be joyful, but we will not be so much uh, swept away by the tide of events. And this uh, reminds me of uh, Ajahn Chah's teaching about the dam. When we understand about impermanence, as Dr. Jai said, so, uh, unreliability, I think he said, uncertainty, uh, unpredictability, these are all words for impermanence. And actually those words are much more, um, much, much, have much more feeling to them than say impermanence is an abstract word, you know, it doesn't have much, it's a concept. But the other words have much more feeling when we talk about uncertainty or unreliability. If we have an understanding of, of a Nietzsche, then we're not swept away so much. And Ajahn Chah had this image of the dam. And he said, you know, if a dam, a dam, of course, is for holding the water as much as possible, but if the dam doesn't have a spillway, a bypass, then when the rain is too much, when the water builds up too much, it won't have somewhere to flow off. If there is no spillway, if there's no bypass, it'll just go over the wall and it'll push the wall down. But if there's a spillway, if there's a bypass, it can go safely off and the dam can hold the maximum capacity and it's quite safe. In the same way, you know, if we don't have an understanding of Nietzsche, um, impermanence, uncertainty, unreliability, unpredictability, when it happens in our lives, we'll be like the dam wall that just collapses due to the force of circumstances. So this understanding of Anicca is really central to uh, the Buddha's teaching. And also, I think for most of you know, of course, it's, it's the gateway to the first stage of enlightenment in the Sotapanna Supplementary. Because when we understand that everything is of the nature to, uh, everything that is of the nature to arise is of the nature to cease, then we're really on the way to understanding uh, the nature of reality and progressing very rapidly towards awakening. So Anicca is a very, uh, this impermanence or this uh, uncertainty is really one of the core aspects of experience, of uh, existence. And it's the instability in, in existence, isn't it? It's really what makes life um, unstable, it, and therefore things, the pleasant things we experience in life won't last. They have to change. And we have plenty of examples of that in our lives, you know, things that we hold very dear, and later on may, we may not have the same feeling for them. 
And conversely, this is a good news, is where things that are unpleasant in our lives, they too are impermanent. So everything is of that nature. So that's very much the case uh, uh, with the Vesak celebration. It was definitely imper- in, uh, impermanent, uncertain, became certain. <laughs> and it wasn't what we wanted. It certainly wasn't what we wanted, which is another definition of dukkha, of, dukkha, of suffering. And it was quite impersonal in the sense that, you know, it was just uh, circumstances that happened. This, the, this COVID outbreak happened just at that time, just as Ajahn Brahm was coming to, <laughs> to Melbourne again. And uh, so these, we see Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta in, in, in this experience of, of the uh, Vesak cancellation. And so, as I say, this... These three characteristics are very important for us to, to see how they link together. What, what was very obvious to me with the celebration was that you could see how, you know, Anicca, uncertainty, had given rise to the dukkha, but this is not what we want, you know. And you could see it so clearly, the link, which the Buddha, the Buddha always says, you know, that what is uncertain, what's unreliable, what's impermanent, leads to dukkha, it leads to suffering, leads to unsatisfactoriness, because it's not the way we want it to be. And of course, that was very, very obvious from uh, that, when, when that was cancelled. So it reminds us, you know, so often we think we're in control of life, don't we? We often think we're in control of things. And when we have things like this happen, the cancellation of Vesak, like the uh, passing away of Prem, Nawaratana, like the storm we had on the uh, 9th of June. So when we have these things, we realize that there's a lot in life we can't control. And uh, even though we think we have got a lot of control in our lives, in actual fact, there are many things that we can't control. And this is the nature of experience. And it's, it's the teaching, really, of uh, a Nietzsche, of this impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self, is really that there is so much that we cannot control. And it reminds me of that uh, famous uh, serenity prayer, they call it. It often comes to my mind. It was, it was a... It was quite funny because where I was uh, uh, learnt about the serenity prayer was from a poster my mother had in the toilet. <laughs> it was for us to reflect on, I think. And it's, uh, it says, May I have the serenity to accept what I can't change, the courage to change what I can change, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's important, actually. That's really important. There's a lot we cannot control. There's a lot we can do to tweak our experience of life. And of course, this is what the Buddha's teaching is about, training our minds, you know, reprogramming, I like, our minds to develop positive states of minds, to, to let go of negative states of mind. So this is, um, this is, an, uh, the, this is an important aspect of change and impermanence. 
And I was going to also mention Prem's passing away. We've already, we've already, Adrian's already mentioned that, and that the funeral is tomorrow. So at the end of this teaching, we can, um, I can dedicate merits to him. But it's a, it's another teaching on a Nietzsche, isn't it? A dukkha and anatta. It's just another one. The, you know, the death of or the passing away of a body is natural. It has to come. If we are being born, these bodies are, you know, they have their expiry date. And it's good to know that. So, and when that happens, of course, you know, that's, an, that's the impermanence. The uncertainty is we don't know when it will happen. The certainty is it will happen. <laughs> we don't know when. But when it passes away, then there is dukkha, isn't there? There is dukkha. And of the body, maybe there's physical uh, dukkha and often mental dukkha of parting from all that we are very close to. It's good to remember, I think people often forget this at those, these times, is that the mind will move on. The mind will move on. The body doesn't move on, <laughs> but the mind will move on. And this is also part of anatta. We don't own this body. If we did own this body, we could tell it not to die, not to get sick, to be as we wish it to be. This is in the Anatta Lakana Sutta. We can't. <laughs> we can't. And so this is a, an impersonal, uh, as it were, process happening to us, but we can take it very personally. And uh, I liked, uh, I saw a quote on the internet, I was trying to look for something that was, you know, that would be um, good for this talk. And uh, the one person said, the human body is in constant change the minute we are born. It's in, it's in a constant state of decay. We're all like, unless I've changed the, the, the brand, Subarus, just falling apart. <laughs> Whatever your car is, you can fill that in. But it's very true that uh, once we are born, then the, the uh, decay sets in, the rot sets in. But it's what we make of this life, isn't it? What we make of these vehicles that we have, you know, as long as we don't take them so personally as to be I, me, and mine, and uh, therefore suffer, you know, when the body goes the way of all bodies, um, then we can use this vehicle for developing the mind, for doing good in the world, for, for uh, all sorts of very positive things. You know, we can use it for development of the path. And the last thing I was going to uh, mention too was the storm we had. So this is another aspect of Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta. That uh, it was uh, for people in Melbourne, uh, I think the storm was a really strong wind. I heard people say that. It was a very strong wind. But in, in uh, Newbury, at the monastery in Newbury, which is uh, um, 90 kilometres from Melbourne itself, um, that was really, I mean, the, they have strong winds there, but that wind was incredible. And one of the monks said to me when uh, I, we, we came back to the kuti, I'm staying in Ajahn Brahm's kuti, oh, the roof's still on. <laughs> I think the architects would be very pleased. <laughs> I thought, wow, they've really got a testing. It's like a wind tunnel, you know. And the wind was, I think, it's probably between 100 and 120 kilometres an, an hour. So it was really, really strong. And uh, so it, 
it's a, it reminds us too, again, you know, this, you can't be certain. I think most people were caught um, uh, by surprise that the, the storm was as strong as it was. And of course, the area where the monastery is near Trentham was the, one of the worst affected areas, worst by the, uh, the storm. So one of the people from Trentham said to me, we felt protected. I thought, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And because no trees fell on houses, evidently, trees fell down, of course, lots of trees, an incredible number of trees at the, uh, in uh, Trentham and around that area, at the monastery, many trees uprooted, uh, lots of broken branches, huge branches. There were four trees on uh, roads, access roads that we had to clear. And uh, so there was really, uh, it was incredible actually to experience that. I think for many they'd think, just like a cyclone, but it probably wasn't going around and around. The wind was incredible. And uh, so the, this actually gives us, we can reflect on that in terms of Dhamma. And it's, it, it, it really, uh, really was quite amazing to see nature like that. But how we respond to it, of course, that's the important thing about life, isn't it? How we respond to life, how we respond to the, you know, these things that happen, whether it be the cancellation of Esarch, whether it be passing away of a dear Dhamma friend, Prem Navaratana, or whether it be this huge storm that caused a lot of destruction in Newbury. Uh, and um, in Victoria. and uh, But the way we respond to it is so important. I must say, I think everybody here has probably seen it too in their lives. When there are crises in our lives or difficulties, emergencies, people often rise up, don't they, to the circumstances and, and, and do things that they, they normally wouldn't be able to do or feel that they had the energy to do. So I know, you know, the response to the storm, you know, especially we see from the SES response of the people in the monastery to dealing with it, really good, really positive. Because what can you do? It's happened. <laughs> it's caused some conditions. Yes, it's happened. So the, the response is so important because when we, the whole of the Buddha's teaching really is about right effort, you know, cultivating positive qualities and keeping them going. It's not enough just to start them up. You've got to keep them going. That's the harder bit. And also letting go of or avoiding negative qualities. And this is a training for all of us. And of course, what these occasions bring up, this, the situations like the cancellation of Esarch, Prem, Prem, uh, Prem's death, and also the storm, is that the qualities we need to develop are just... This wisdom, of course, to understand and Nietzsche, dukkha and anatta, that helps us a lot. Um, you know, we, we can't get angry at the wind, <laughs> at circumstances. We understand that this is part of nature. So this wisdom helps us a great deal, not only um, in, uh, with these sorts of situations, but the qualities we can uh, bring up uh, out of these uh, difficult times is this sort of caring and particularly thankfulness for the help people have given and be grateful and this kindness too and also generosity is these sorts of qualities are good responses to 
situations like this. And I was very pleased about we had a thank you, uh, a thank you lunch yesterday for all those that helped, not only with the storm, you know, whether it be the CES, the monastery workers, the volunteers that come to the monastery, but also with all those that helped with the cancelled uh, Vesak ceremony and all those that have been supporting the monastery with food, with dana, with all the rest of it. And this thank you lunch, when I first heard about it, I thought, wow, is this the right time? <laughs> but then then uh, I realised, or Iropeka was saying, well, you know, this is from a gratitude, from thanks, for the kindness, for the generosity, for all the, all the help we've received. And I thought, wow, that's tr-. you know, this is actually developing these qualities and, and making them important. And uh, so I thought, good, this thank you lunch, uh, you know, very useful. And we did have four SES members come for the lunch, which was lovely to see. And I heard they took food back to the team. So there was a lot of food there. We could have had more of them come, but uh, there was a lot of food. Some neighbours came. There were uh, most of the committee <laughs> and uh, also uh, uh, other supporters as well. So it was quite, it was really nice. And I had a nice story that I found uh, on uh, that uh, brings this out very well. And it shows wisdom, but it also shows developing these aspects of kindness, thoughtfulness. And it concerns Mahatma Gandhi. Evidently, one day he was with a lot of supporters, Mahatma Gandhi, and they were getting onto a train, probably in a large city, I would say. And as he was getting onto the train, his shoe fell between the gap and uh, and went down. He couldn't get the shoe. And you know what he did? took the other shoe off, and he put it down the gap. <laughs> and somebody said, Mahatma Gandhi, I don't know what they call him, Mahatma, <laughs> probably Mahatma or something like this. And they said, why have, why have you put your other shoe down there? And he said, well, when a poor person finds one shoe, it won't be of any use to them. <laughs> so, so, so they might as well have the second shoe. So he put the second shoe down. Also, it wouldn't be much use to him, one shoe. <laughs> So I thought that was a, a really good, wise way, isn't it? A wise way, but a kind and compassionate way too. Because when we, when we have wisdom, and this is the point of understanding uh, this anicca, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and this anatta, non-self, the point of it is it makes us much kinder because we can accept people as they are, situations as they are, and respond in a much more positive way than getting upset, getting negative about what is possibly already a negative situation. So that was a lovely quote. So next time that happens to you, <laughs> I just put the other shoe down there. But it doesn't happen so often, I think. So I'd just like to conclude with, uh, you know, to encourage all of us to reflect on our experience of life and to reflect on it in terms of, of Dhamma. And that way, you know, to develop this understanding, develop good qualities, develop the wisdom that will take us towards enlightenment, but also the joy that we can have when we can genuinely say from the heart, oh, this is such a perfect teaching, <laughs> such a perfect teaching, when it's not the way we want it to be, you know, that is really difficult. So uh, if we can do that, then we are reducing this sense of self 
you know, this ego, which creates a lot of trouble in our lives and, and gives rise to a lot of um, pain and suffering in our lives for ourselves and for others. So I'd like to finish there and uh, maybe, should I do the chanting now? Yeah, just do the sharing of merit. And then, are there any questions there? All right, we can have the questions and then I'll do the dedication of merit. So it continues really, isn't it? Any questions, comments, complaints? Not another talk about Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta. <laughs> Bhante, just comment on the talk. Oh, yes, Dr. Yeah. Jai, yes. Uh, the, you started uh, about the Rahula Vajrasutra, about reflection. Yes, or yes. Buddha said, uh, reflect on your action, mm -hmm. your speech, and your mind thought. Uh, so again, we talked about what can be controlled and what cannot be controlled. Mm. Uh, a lot of things, as uh, the last talk given by Ajahn Sudharura last week, about what people try to control, the mm. things that you can't control. Lot of things, but one thing we can control is mm. the things that you said. But what we do with mm. action, speech, and mm. thought, because mm. these create conditions. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you for that. That's very true. I think uh, one of the 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 way we practice uh, practice dhamma really is. It's not so much, uh, I don't think of it as control, because that's a word Ajahn Brahm doesn't use much, <laughs> but more like training the mind. But if we train the mind, you know, and this is something you see in the, the, the translation, they always, the Buddha is always, say, always saying to people, train yourself in this way. And then he gives a, you know, a way that we should train ourselves. And this training is really to recondition so that we're creating these sort of mental patterns, habits in the mind that are positive. And in that sense, you know, then we are sort of more in control, as it were, in inverted commas, that our actions by body, speech and mind won't hurt or harm ourselves or others. And so this is really, um, you know, where we, as it were, get some control over the situation. When we train the mind, when we reprogram the mind to develop these positive uh, qualities that bring happiness and joy, <laughs> and uh, also at the same time, when we develop the positive, of course, we reduce the potential for the negative to express itself. So that is... That is uh, how we can do it, because the sense of often when the um, the idea of control is very much linked to what I'm in mind, I control this, I'm in control. But in actual fact, it's a process, and this is why you know this training, repeating actions of body, speech, and mind creates a groove in the mind, creates a habit in the mind so that it tends in that direction rather than the other direction. And so this is, and this is not easy because you see, isn't it really, that the trend of the world is towards the negative. If you see the news, you, uh, you know, you see a lot of negative things. Um, and the, the trend is in that direction. So for us to go in the opposite direction, to develop positive states of mind, body, speech and mind, 
is, is something we have to do by repetition, by realizing this brings the benefits. This is going to bring happiness. This is going to be the basis for my awakening, for awakening, my awakening, for awakening. <laughs> so thank you very much for that, Prem. That's how we actually sort of gain control over the process that otherwise, you know, these negative qualities, some people cultivate them, they really can get out of hand. They can really get out of hand and do a lot of damage for that person, for other people, for the world. So thank you for that. Yes, and that's it. Another question. Oh, yes, you'd like to. Yes, thank you. Morning, Bunty. Good morning. Um, I just had a, a question about mm. um, Sila. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for sure. Look, I, I've been observing the five precepts for a while now and I'm, yeah. I'm starting to feel a bit more comfortable with the idea of observing the eight precepts mm. on just on observance observance days yeah that's great um but my my partner is not a buddhist and and yeah. um, i i know that i uh had said that you know if we want to observe mm. the eight precepts we should do it um until dawn the next day um oh, but right. i i just worry that you know it may create a bit of tension with in my household because my mm. partner's not a Buddhist and may not understand the the eight precepts side of things. Yeah, um, is it okay to mm. you know observe the observe the eight precepts for like you know like a twelve hour period instead of a twenty four yeah. hour period? Is is that w- um, worth doing? Yeah. I, I think it is, actually, because your intention is, uh, uh, you know, out of compassion, out of kindness, really. You, you don't want to, uh, you know, uh, create difficulties or misunderstanding uh, with your partner. Uh, so I think that is okay. It's very common, yeah, probably most common in, uh, you know, most Buddhist countries, in Sri Lanka certainly, that people will take the five precepts just when they're going home from the monastery. <laughs> So there's, there's this joke that uh, sometimes people take eight precepts and then they'll take ten, and then when they're leaving, they'll take five. So they can get 23 precepts in one day, you know, which is quite, quite funny. But it's, it is, if your intention is doing it, you know, because for harmony, uh, for the sake of peace, you know, and uh, also, in a sense, you know, we don't, we don't want to create a negative impression of, uh, you know, Buddhism, for our partners, if you your partner, and so I think that is okay, you know, to do that, to if you know observe the eight precepts at the monastery, and then uh, to, as it were, in your mind, or sometimes they give the five precepts for you to go home, and because uh, the five precepts are the essential, really, the essential. The eight precepts are really just cutting away at our desire for comfort <laughs> and all that sort of thing you know for eating in the evening and you know hanging out with watching shows and so on and I know so many people to, you know they think of being together as watching tv together that sort of idea it's really strange isn't it but uh, if you're not there you know you're not part of it or something so I know that sort of idea can be in people's minds so that's that's a compassionate thing to do I think so no problem yeah thank you Oh, is that? Ajang, we've got, we've got two questions online. All right, oh, yes. Okay, first question is from Bolivia. Um, Bolivia? Bante, in a book, in a book by yeah. Ajahn Brahm, yeah. I read seeing Anicca is not like seeing the ocean. 
It's not like seeing the ocean waves coming in and going out, but rather that rather like seeing the entire ocean disappearing in front of your eyes. Mm. When the stream entry occurs, mm. what what you see is the five skandhas disappearing in in front of your eyes, which is equivalent to seeing the end of the dependent origination, or what you see is what you see when the stream entry occurs. Or what do you see when the stream entry occurs? My apologies for getting that question all mixed up. Mm. No, I think that puts it perfectly. You know, you you see that this uh, body and mind, this process, as he called it, the five skandhas or five khandhas, can end. It can cease. And so that, that is actually the insight that liberates, actually. For most of us, we, we don't, A, we don't want it, <laughs> let, let alone uh, uh, experiencing that. Because if we don't want it, if we're trying to, if we're hanging on to these five khandhas, this is the body, of course, you know, we all know, and the, the mental khandhas, this is uh, feeling, or Ajahn Brahm's calling it experience, uh, perception, this is that quality of recognizing what we're experiencing, being able to put a label on it. And also um, will, or Ajahn Brahm calls it will or intention, that reaction to our experience. And also uh, consciousness itself, this is being aware through the five senses and the mind consciousness. To actually see that or it cease or uh, the potential for it to cease completely most people don't wish that to happen, but this is what will make a person a stream enterer. And they will be incredibly happy and relieved that this is possible. And they've seen, they've entered the, the stream, they've, they've gone through the gate to complete awakening. So yes, that is, I think that's, that's a, a very good, good point. Because often you hear of a nature as, you know, arising and passing away, like it will always keep going and going and going. But that, that is not, the, not real cessation. In the end, cessation means it finishes completely. So this is the body and the mind. When we pass away, of course, when a person passes away, I say uh, the body passes away, that's all that happens. The mind will move on. And why will it move on? Because it wants to move on. It's not ready to, for things to finish, for things to end. Um, maybe they think, next life. <laughs> I'll be ready for it. But only that sort of experience, it's only possible if the wisdom is there, the understanding is there. And I know sometimes you get people looking a bit anxious and say, well, what if I accidentally become enlightened, awakened? <laughs> I keep saying, well, it won't accidentally happen, actually. <laughs> if you un- really understand, you'll be really happy. You won't think, I want my money back. <laughs> Thank you. That's- Thank you from Bolivia. I hope that answered it. Yeah. No, that's a very nice one, Ajahn Brahm. Ajahn, we got, um, are we okay for time? Yes, just uh, one more question. And then I'll do the chanting. The question is, how do I discover the unknown assumption about the life and reality? How how hard how hard to try listening to others how hard it is to try listening to others mm. i judge the comments from my pers- from my perspectives so what a mm. question yeah i'm yeah yes yes 
Well, our, I mean, our, our reality, as I mentioned, you know, is these three characteristics. But we all have our takes on reality, our understanding of reality from our own personal experience. And so, you know, we can judge others in terms of, this is what I think they're, they're talking about, we can judge others in terms of what they say and do, say and do, probably not what they think, how they act, how they speak. And that can be, you know, we can get very judgmental with that. And uh, it's, it is good to realize that this judgment is not a sure thing either. It's part of... Um, perception, we are labeling their actions in a particular way, it's not sure. They may be, it, it may be, um, they, usually people are acting as they, as they're acting, speaking as they're speaking, due to their conditioning. If you have that understanding, then we're less likely to judge. When we judge, I notice <laughs> judgment is usually coming from a negative space, actually. We're usually, we're really, uh, we're really, um, as it were, putting them down and enhancing our own sense of self. So this judgment, judging, is something it's good not to encourage, not to believe totally. We can see when it happens, you know, oh, I'm, I'm judging, you know, just realize that it's coming up. And that's part of our habit, part of our programming, our conditioning. But we don't have to buy into it. Maybe they're not like that. It's very interesting. Somebody said to me, and I think it's quite true, that if we do or say something that's really negative, we think not so good, we say, oh, well, I was really tired, <laughs> or something disagreed me with me that I ate, or, you know, it's the weather or something like that. But if somebody else does or says, says something that's really negative, we find very hurtful, we really say, they're an awful person, they're really bad. We don't think, well, maybe they've had a bad day. <laughs> maybe, you know, things haven't gone well for them. And so this judging is really, it's a very unkind thing to do. Often it's unkind. Of course, you can judge and say, aren't they a wonderful person? That's another possibility. But usually judging is negative. And of course, we have that saying from the Bible, isn't it? Judge not, uh, judge not lest you be judged. And of course, in the end, people who do a lot of judging of others judge themselves a lot too because they've created that pattern. It's not a very positive pattern. And it's a pattern often informed by, I know better, I'm, I'm superior to that person. I understand things better, I'm more wise, I'm clearer. So this is not a kind thing to do. So we can finish with that one, I think. So does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, thank you very much for that one. So now we can, for those who would like to, you can join in. We can dedicate the merit to Prem. I'll be, we'll be doing it again tomorrow, actually. <laughs> so it's practice. So, And the first thing we do is call on the uh, devas to rejoice and then for all beings to rejoice and, and then for all creatures to, enjoy, uh, to rejoice. That's devas, bhutas, sata. And then we call on the, uh, um, the devas and powerful beings to support the Buddha's teaching uh, to support the individual teachings of the, the Buddha's teachings and also for yourselves. And then we can do the idang manyati nang hotu, which means may this be 
for my relatives, may they be happy. And you can do it for your relatives too, for all our relatives. And then I'll finish with uh, an English one, may you abide in well-being. Etavata cha amhehi sambatang punya sampadang sammedeva anumodantu sambasampati sindhya etavata cha amhehi sambatang punya sampadang sammebuta anumodantu sambasampati sindhya etavata cha amhehi Sambatang punya sampadang, samme satta anumodantu samma sampati siddhya, akasatan chabumata devanagama hindika, punyang tang anumoditwa chirang rakantu sasanang, akasatan chabumata devanagama hindika, Ponyang tang anumoditwa chirang rakantu desanang akasata chambumata devanagama hindika Ponyang tang anumoditwa chirang rakantu mang paranti Inang me nyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idang me nyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo. Idang me nyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo. May you abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will. In freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourself. Sadhu, sadhu. And may Prem have a good rebirth, and may all his good karma bring him much happiness and good circumstances for his new life, and particularly contact with the Dhamma. Or maybe he won't be reborn at all. That's that's the best option. <laughs> so, Sadhu, thank you for this morning. Lovely. And I think after this we will see you over there. And those who wish to, we can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. Nice finish. <laughs>